0: Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is the recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged as you listen to this. Enjoy. Good morning everyone. It is good to see you. It is good to be here. Um a quick question before we start. Any any football fans in the room? Because that's why it's good to know your audience. Uh, my son has got his hand raised. So this this uh, this illustration is exclusively for him then. Um I've often wondered, uh, you oft- you, you'll get several football teams, and uh, my son's favorite in particular is Manchester United. Uh, and there are several United, they're no booze, thank you guys, keep it civil. But there is, it's always made me wonder, there are several teams that are something United, You know, Manchester United, Sheffield United, uh, Newcastle United, Leeds United. Um, and it's, you know, it's made me wonder that you, you never get um, Manchester divided. Or, uh, or, or Newcastle no longer on speaking terms with each other. Uh, the, the idea is what it's meant to convey is this idea of, of unity, of cooperation, of togetherness. Uh, and that's, uh, that's kind of the main theme of what we're, we're talking about this morning. Uh, and a big part of this, we're in John chapter 17, if you want to turn there already. And the entirety of that chapter is dedicated to what is referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Uh, and the reason it's often called that is, is Jesus stands there in that moment as his prayer. He is literally hours away uh, from his betrayal and arrest. Uh, and this is kind of, uh, it's a window into Jesus' prayer life. That in these final moments of, of freedom, in these last few moments with his friends, with his disciples, uh, this is what Jesus prays. Uh, and it's called the High Priestly Prayer because Jesus stands in that position of a, of a high priest. And, and what we mean by that is, is the function of a priest is to stand before God on behalf of the people. And so in this moment, Jesus is, is praying that really the last opportunity Jesus has like this to pray to his Father before everything that is about to happen happens. And Jesus prays for his disciples. And I find it fascinating what he prays about. The truth is we don't need to to think uh, or look for terribly many examples uh, at the moment of our country not being unified. Is division seems to be a thing that that across the globe at the moment, uh, we live in divided times. Politics, ideology, socioeconomics, racism, religious conflict, culture, climate. It feels like every single potential issue nowadays, we are more and more divided than ever before. Tribalism seems to run rampant. That idea that, 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 that we look at those on the outside of our group or our beliefs as the enemy. And that while the truth may not be quite as extreme as that, is, is, it is certainly the case that on social media and through advertising and media outlets and, and politicians all seek to benefit by presenting us as more divided or even spreading desi- the division to their own ends. And what I find fascinating is when you look at cultural commentaries, when you look at people looking at the situation of, of our country, of our world at the moment, often the answer that they give to an increasingly divided culture. He said, the only way that we can make this work, the only way we can break through this, we need to spend more time with people who are different from us. People who don't vote the same way. People who have a different cultural background. People with different economic positions. People in different age categories. And I'm thinking, God, this sounds more and more like the church the more they describe it. Or at least the church as it ought to be. But equally, the truth, it's not just our politics that divides us. It's family breakdown, loss of friendship, alienation from our neighbors. All these things are a little more close to home and a little more personal, but it all comes down to the challenge of staying unified and united with those around us. Why is it so hard to apologize to a friend or a spouse or a loved one? Anyone else get that experience? If you've done something wrong, it can be really difficult to say, I am sorry for that. Sometimes, and again, if you've got children, you make them say sorry through gritted teeth. Some of my children are very good at, at apologizing very unapologetically. It's easier to hold a grudge, to hold on to unforgiveness, than it is to extend grace and forgiveness. And so if we look at this, we turn to John chapter 17. We're going to go from verse 20 through to the end, 26 there. And so this is Jesus' prayer for all believers. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's referring to the prayer he's just prayed for his disciples. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That is us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given, uh, I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may, may be one as well, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me uh, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father I want you to have given uh, I want you to have given me to be with me where I given them to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world righteous father though the world does not know you I know you and they know you that you and uh, they know that you have sent me I made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. How many of you find it difficult praying for other people? We were talking about prayer in our, in our small group, in our lounge group this week. And, and one of the things that came up is it can be challenging particularly to pray out loud for other people. Now, there are some people, uh, whether they're just experienced in, in, in doing that or more confident in themselves, but they love to offer prayer, they want to pray for you, they, they genuinely, their desire is to pray for you in that moment. But for some of us, uh, maybe if you're a little more like me, it can be a little bit apprehensive. When someone asks you to pray for them, you go, well, what on earth do I say? Prayer out loud can often be an uncomfortable experience. Uh, The challenge is we often resort to kind of well-worn platitudes, you know, we ask God for his grace, we ask God to bless them, and it's all good stuff, but we often say it because we don't know what else to say. And we can drift into this kind of, uh, this automatic prayer language, and I talked on Thursday about having, some of us have a prayer voice. Anyone got a prayer voice? When you pray, your voice changes and you sound a little more austere and a little more... Uh, a little more refined because you're talking to God. And, and and there are certain expressions. Has anyone heard? This is one that I love. I know Abby's a big fan, fan of this one as well. People pray that, uh, that God would, would grant a, a hedge of protection around someone. Have you ever heard someone pray like that? I've never understood that. Because, um, because I've never found hedges particularly protective or formidable. And so to ask God, I'd rather God kind of put like a steel wall of protection or, you know, something more ironclad. But, but we say these strange things when we pray, often when we're not sure what to say. But in this prayer, this is Jesus praying for us. Jesus who has the Father's love and the Father's approval. Jesus who is the Son that the Father said, in whom I am well pleased. And we get a window into his prayer. And it's not just a generic prayer, but it's Jesus' prayer for us. And Jesus prays that we would be united. Jesus prays for our unity. And it's fascinating that this is what matters to him. If you were to stop and think, what are the the priorities for God, for his church at this moment in time? What is it that Jesus cares most about for us and for the church right now? And we could list off a host of things that we think are really important and probably are really important. And yet what Jesus prayed for is for unity. And friends, if if you're a follower of Jesus, this should matter to you because what matters to Jesus matters to us. Praise that we would be united together, that that this unity that we know would, would be experienced, would be a blessing from God in a deeper and greater way. So my first point is this is, is that unity is God's desire for us. Jesus prays for unity. The call to be a follower of Jesus is is a call to reject this kind of radical individualism in which we define what matters and we define what is important. and, And the world is all done on our own terms. But it's to embrace community. It's to embrace togetherness. It's to embrace dependence and connection on those around us. When the Old Testament describes a nation spiraling apart, and you go through the book of Judges, this phrase that keeps coming up again and again as God's people uh, drive themselves further and further away from him. It says, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that is the chaos that we see throughout the book of Judges. It's everyone doing what they thought was right for them. And yet Jesus calls us in to unity. And the reason this is so difficult, the reason this is possibly even so uncomfortable, is it requires us to open ourselves up to those around us. It requires us to be vulnerable with people. It requires us to to invite them in, maybe to the more personal and uncomfortable parts of our life. It requires us to say no to some of the, the comfort that we get from our own space and our own time and bring other people into that space. The church is meant, to be, is meant to be something that depends on one another. The church, we are poorer when you are not here, when you are not part of what is going on. That we are more enriched, we are more blessed, we are more developed and built up for your presence here. And the challenge is, is unity is so often broken when we hold grudges or rivalries or allow resentment to fester. That unity is not only valuable to avoid relationship breakdown, but it allows us to work together to achieve so much more. And so I want to just rest on that idea again. Jesus' prayer for us. As Jesus prays for the church, it is against the, the, the damaging destruction of division. Just think personally, how quickly do we allow division into our life? Are we quick to seek reconciliation? Do we want to restore relationships? Do we want to bring people back together? Is that a priority for us? I don't know if you're anything like me, but it's so easy to say, well, they deserve it. And so the cold shoulder that they're going to get for me for the next couple of weeks, that's on them. And we can think that's a perfectly justifiable way to treat people that have hurt us. That's a completely natural way to respond when other people have wronged us. And what—and yet what does Jesus invite us into? Is to relationships that seek out unity. What do they say? If you uh, if you if you hold on to bitterness, you drink poison twice. Is that? Have you heard that expression before? But so often, it's, it's easy to to be. Unforgiving in thinking that that will somehow punish or, or, or bring justice to the situation, and yet God's desire for us is to bring forgiveness, to bring healing, to be at the, at the sharp end of what is difficult, but that brings truth, that brings reconciliation. Are we comfortable criticizing other people? Are we reluctant to encourage? At the core of the gospel is God's offer, God's free offer of forgiveness. And, friends, forgiveness, and I don't want to downplay this or, or make it sound simple or try. Forgiveness is difficult, right? Forgiveness is hard. When we forgive somebody in some way, we bear the cost of what they have done, that we pay the price for that hurt that they have caused. So, forgiveness is costly. So, I don't say this easily or flippantly. But as we're encouraged elsewhere in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, to one another forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave, just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus gives not only an incredible example of forgiveness to follow, but what is more than that? What is more than an example is Jesus gives us the experience of receiving that forgiveness ourselves. Freely we have received it and freely we are asked to give it on. This is the bedrock of a united church, of a community that values unity. Jesus' prayer is that, that they would be one just as you are in me and I in you. That Jesus', is, Jesus prayer is that we would enter into that, that intimacy with God that binds us together. And you would think, well, what does that mean? And I want to say that unity is love and purpose, not uniformity. We are not called all to be the same. I've, I've got a. Picture here, this is from a number of years ago. This is, uh, this is Abby and myself turning up to a, a, a church uh, kind of day in the park together and coincidentally we are dressed identically. We even have the same bag. And we, it, the joke was it was kind of like church, it was church uniform. How awful would it be if to be a member of Cap City you had to think like us, that you had to dress like us, that you had to believe and do the same things? How awful would that be? You you can nod. You can nod. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you say, "Luke, I don't want to be exactly like you." That would be if 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 what it meant to follow Jesus was that we all had to be the same. That would be terrible. Is that Jesus is not looking for uniformity in his disciples, but for unity in his disciples. We're not to like the same things to dress the same and look like each other, to limit expressions of of personality or culture or experience. That is not the call to enter into unity with Jesus. So the question is, well, what does that look like? What kind of unity is Jesus praying for, is God longing for in his church? Not that we're all the same, not even that we think and believe the same, I think that's an important thing to say. If we were, if we were to, to kind of line everybody up and list out their, kind of, their core beliefs, we'd have an awful lot in common, but there would be disagreement. There would be differences. Is Abby and I enjoy a healthy disagreement. I think we enjoy, I think actually, I think I enjoy a healthy gr- disagreement. I think Abby enjoys winding me up. But I think it's important that we have the ability to disagree, the ability to talk things through, that we are not going to see everything the same because we don't have the same journey. We don't have the same experiences. We come to the same Savior and we, we submit to the same scripture, but that is not asking us for uniformity, but unity in Jesus. So what kind of unity? I think it is unity of purpose and of love. Part of the mission of the church is to demonstrate the gospel. That is the love of God that has been given to us. And the mission of God to restore the world and unite them to God. That the unity of God is about creating community in diversity. Just a couple of chapters ago in the same kind of narrative of Jesus speaking with his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. And this is, this is, kind of, this is the only new command that Jesus gives. Jesus kind of affirms what is in Scripture. He, 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 he gets his, his disciples to understand how he fulfills the Old Testament Scriptures. And yet he says, this is a new command that I give you. You love as I have loved you. Of all the things that Jesus could make a requirement of his followers and again you can stop and think well what you know if if you were in Jesus shoes if you were kind of getting ready to launch the church what would the command if you could give them one instruction you have to do this to be a follower of Jesus you know you, you have to wear socks and sandals or you know to be a follower of Jesus you have to show up to church at 11 o'clock sharp if you did that here you'd obviously be half an hour late but you know if Jesus could give one instruction I'm so used church for all my life church has been at 11 o'clock So the fact that we do it at half past ten still throws me mentally. If it's 11 o'clock, I don't feel like I'm late. That's the thing. Of all the things Jesus could instruct us to do, he instructs us to love like he loves us. And for any of us who are kind of thinking in our head, okay, explain that a bit more. How, How does Jesus love us? What does that look like? That that command comes right afterwards, uh, right after Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. That the encouragement, the instruction, the command to love as he loves comes immediately after Jesus has got down on his knees and washed the muck and the filth and the dirt off the feet of his disciples. And I want to encourage you firstly that I'm not saying that to be a follower of Jesus then you must get a basin and a towel and some soap and start, you know, start dipping toes in it. Like that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. The idea is is that, that joyful readiness to serve others regardless of position or status that we don't cling to our our idea of how important we are, but we humble ourselves, that we love those around us. And and of course, the example that is coming from Jesus here is that he would lay down his life to bring forgiveness, eternal life, entry into the family of God, new life and the Holy Spirit within us. That is what is about to happen through his death on on the cross as he lays down his life. There's that incredible passage, one of, the, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is in Philippians chapter 2. And there's this section here, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, which, which is often considered a, a, a hymn. That This is not the, the words of the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, but actually this is Paul referring to an older tradition that already exists within the church at that time. He says this, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he begins to quote this, this early Christian hymn. He says, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He says, this is how God has treated you. This is how Jesus loves you. That he has humbled himself. That he didn't consider his status as being very God by nature. Something that should prevent him from taking on service. Even to the point of death on a cross. And as a result, God has exalted and glorified him. That is the example that we look to follow. That is how we love one another. That is how we stay United. And the other point is this is, is we are united in mission. Is that God sends us? Have you ever been sent? Ever think back to, to your school days. Were you ever sent by a teacher to deliver a message to another teacher? Do you ever remember being asked to do that? And you kind of you would stroll through the, the hallways with immunity, and people would say, Well, what, what are you doing in a class? And you'd say, I've been sent. And you just have. I can remember one time being sent by uh, by one of my teachers uh, to bring some papers to uh, to someone just on the other side of the school, Uh, and there was nothing in there that that other teacher needed. He was literally just doing this to wind me up, because on the top of the pile of papers was um, was an examination report. And as I gently glanced down on this paper, I saw my name on this report, and I just thought, well, you know, while I sneak through this corridor, I'll have a quick look through and see what he's written. And uh, and he'd just written fail under every category and just done it on purpose to, uh, to wind me up. But that idea of you go and you've been sent and you go in the authority of the one who sent you. Jesus said, may they also be in us that the world may believe you have sent me. And this is crucial throughout John's Gospel, the idea that God sent Jesus. That idea of sent, or, or being sent, or sending, is, it, it occurs time and time again, that Jesus has been sent by the Father. And that believing that God has sent Jesus means we trust and believe what Jesus says. It, it is the authority and the credibility behind what Jesus says, that it isn't his own ideas or teaching, but God testifies to its truthfulness. As Jesus, as Jesus is sent by God and Jesus sends us, it is to show the world that there is a better way, that the way of Jesus, that the way of sacrificial love, that, that looking to others above ourselves and lifting others up rather than merely pursuing our own interests reflects the mission and the love of God. That just as God sends his Son, And by believing in the Son, he sends the Holy Spirit. And then the Son sends us out into the world with the Holy Spirit to empower and encourage us. We are united in that mission. Seeing God send Jesus is central to understanding that Jesus sends us. And the, the place that that starts, I think, is just in our own lives. It's building that sense of unity in church, in relationships, in marriages, in friendships, and in families. Just before that, that great hymn in, uh, in Philippians 2, Paul says these words. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility think of others better than yourself. He says, each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And that's when he goes on to, to encourage them to look at Jesus' example. He says, don't do this just because I tell you. Don't do it just because it's good for you. Don't do it because it's, it's the right thing to do. He says, do it because this is how God has treated you. As we reflect on I've got five ways that we can build unity in just, just our, own, our own lives, our own relationships, our own uh, connections with those around us. Is, is Firstly, see, see decisions collectively. When Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but look to the interests of others. Don't, don't make decisions just based on you, but think less I and more we. This works perfectly well in, in marriage relationships. Uh, if you've got a partner or a spouse, this is the perfect way to think, to build unity in your relationship. See decisions as we, not I. Second one, is this is believe the best in people first. And I want to say, yes, sometimes people are horrid and, and unpleasant and unkind. But I think it's important that we allow our starting point not to be destructive, but to be encouraging. How many times do we jump to the conclusion and we believe the worst in people? Does anyone like that? Just got just a kind of natural inclination. If someone has said something, you automatically assume that they meant the very worst thing that they possibly could. Have you ever had that experience? Some of you are nodding. Some, some of you are, are far better than I am. There's that point in 1 Corinthians 13, that incredible uh, verse about love. Love is patient, love is kind, it's gentle, all this kind of stuff. And there's one translation that says, love believes all things. And I've often pondered on that. I said, well, well, no, I don't believe that love is naive. I don't believe that the, you know, the, the love is, is easily duped or fooled. But I do believe that love believes the best first. That its first inclination is not to think the worst of somebody." is not to read the worst possible scenario into a situation. But first, loves, love believes what is best. Judge, can I tell you, nine nine times out of ten, that is 100% the truth, that the person's motives were not as bad as you thought they were, that you've just misunderstood or they've misspoken. Can I just say, just in, in, in friendships, in, in relationships, if that is your starting point, to believe love first, And either allow yourself to be disappointed or save yourself an awful lot of chaos. I think we can seek unity by agreeing that love believes all things. third one is this, is to lower your your defenses and begin opening up. Again, I think this is one of the things that we hold really precious in Cap City is this idea of, of authenticity and vulnerability is that we we seek to be a church where where honesty counts where you can express doubt where you can com- communicate uncertainty that you can be, uh, be yourself without fear of being judged or being attacked or being condemned. Because we believe that is the, that is the only way that we can have a relationship with God. There's no, there's no pretense with God. You can't fool God. You know, that, that God knows who you are intimately and personally. It desires what is right for you and loves you in spite of yourself sometimes. And that if we want to be a community that reflects God's heart and God's nature to the world around us, then, then we need to look like that too. Now we 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 don't brush sin aside, we you know, we believe God has given us instruction, we see what is right and what is wrong, but that isn't our starting point. That our starting point is one of of authenticity, of vulnerability, of honesty, and 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 that is a difficult thing to do with people. It is I'm I'm a particularly closed down person. Um, I don't, uh, I'm not eager to share the most uh, hidden or intimate parts of myself. I know there are some people that, that just need to talk it out and that is good for them and, and that comes naturally. That's not me. And yet what, what I've learned through, through being a disciple of Jesus is that if I want authentic relationships with other people, if I want to build unity and community around me in my, in my marriage relationship, in my family, in my church, and with my friends, that involves opening yourself up. Showing the things that may not be so pristine and so wonderful. Showing some of the things that are less beautiful or desirable. And building community through authenticity and vulnerability. The fourth one is is asking, how can I build you up? It's that idea of not looking only to our interests, but to the interests of others. Ask, uh, if, if you're married, ask, how can I build you up? What can I do to encourage you? What can I do to support you? Ask your friends, how can I be a better friend? How can I be a better, a better friend to you? What can I do to encourage and lift you up? Sometimes it's that, you know, if we're taking back to the third point, sometimes it's asking, what should I do less to be a better friend? What do I need to stop doing to encourage you more? Ask, how can I build you up? Unity doesn't happen accidentally. You don't wake up one morning and you're just perfectly in sync with the people around you. Look for opportunities to build up, to encourage, to strengthen and support. And the fifth one is this, is keep the big stuff big and the little stuff little. And I think, I hope we do that well in Cap City. There are, there are certain issues that we won't budge on. When it comes to Jesus being the only way, you know, we're not inviting anyone else to that party, right? The big stuff we keep big. There are things that, we're, that are just non-negotiable for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but we keep the little stuff little. There are things that we are allowed to disagree about. There are things that you are allowed to tell me I'm wrong about, and we can still be friends. And then that is so important. If that's not there, then, then we're just looking to create carbon copies of each other. Deep relationship, unified churches, thriving, life-giving friendships. Because when we hold what is important together, we allow that to unify us and we allow flexibility. Flexibility allows for disagreement. While we're flexible, disagreements allow us to bend. If we're brittle, that means we break. Disagreement has no room and we snap. I'm going to move quickly through this next one because I'm... I want to get to the end of this quickly, but this, uh, unity is evangelism. How many of you shudder at the mention of evangelism in church? You just think, oh, no, he's going to ask me to do stuff, and I'm just, that's so embarrassing, I don't know what to say. Like, you know, for many, many years, I know for many of us, we're, you know, we wish that we were more eager to share our faith in in just normal, in the normal situations of life. We wish that we were more confident to talk to others, or maybe for some of us there's that sense of of awkwardness or uncertainty or even guilt when it comes to, to this idea of evangelism, how we give other people good news. And so I want, to give you a, I want to give you an alternative option. What if I was to say that there is a simple way for you to be better at sharing your faith? Jesus says in verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they, uh, they may be brought to complete unity, that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. The church is rarely more attractive than when it demonstrates the love of God through the love of one another. Like if you've ever been to a church where, where just the people genuinely like each other, that atmosphere is completely... If, if, if you've been into a church and you can pick up straight away, there are people in this room that really don't want to be with each other. There are people in this place that just don't like each other. That, that carries an atmosphere and I pray that that would not be the case here. But it is an act of faith to give ourselves to community, to invest in fellowship and friendship and relationship over self serving comfort. Church, it is easier to stay home and watch telly, I know, but there is something precious, there is something valuable that is built when we invest in friendship with one another, than when we open ourselves to build community. That the church is rarely more ugly than when it's consumed with bitterness and backbiting and argument. And yet it powerfully speaks of the love of God, when a, when a group of people who in, in normal circumstances would have nothing to do with each other are brought together in love by something greater than themselves. And my last point is this, is, is unity is God's grace to us. Jesus ends this prayer, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. Talking about his disciples there. Uh, I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. If Cap City is your home, God has given you these people. Look at the people. This is really awkward. Do you know what you Oh, look at the people around you and smile and greet them, and it feels very, very awkward. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask you to roll with this just to lean in. If we're all awkward together, we're all in the same boat, and, and you, the only person you need to be angry at is me. So we're okay, right? But look at the people in this room, and I, I genuinely mean this. God has brought us here. If we believe that God is involved in church, if God is active and alive, the people in this room, God has, has given to one another. God has given us to each other as a means of grace. Church, one of the primary ways that I believe God speaks to us today is through His church. And that's not from, from someone in a pulpit or standing up on a Sunday, but that is when we encourage each other, when we bring God's word to each other in our daily lives. Is that the relationships and the community that we build around each other is one of the primary ways that God loves to bring, uh, to bring blessing and encouragement and richness to our existence. That God's grace is on display for us when we live as the church should live to be a part of each other's stories, to build life together, to laugh and to cry, to encourage and to learn from, to build up and to support one another. One of the songs that, 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 that God's people would sing when on pilgrimage to Jerusalem is this. It's how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard. If you don't have a beard, it still applies. Running down on Aaron's beard, that would be the high priest, the one who stands before the people, uh, uh, before God on the behalf of people, down the robe, down the collar of his robe. It is like the dew on Hermon, where falling on Mount Zion. Again, that's just like if you've ever been out in the morning and there's dew on the grass, it's like it's just covering everywhere. He says, for there the Lord bestows his blessing even life evermore. and this, It's a really short psalm, a really easy one to remember, but I'm going to summarize it even more, just in case. He says, when God's people live in unity, God bestows his blessing. And, and I don't think we should be too formulaic about it. I don't think it's a, it's a this, therefore, that, but I think there is a principle of truth here that we need to latch on to is when God's people strive for this kind of unity, there is something about the blessing of God that falls on that. That God has given us himself and given us one another. That the church is meant to be a comfort. I don't know if you've seen this. is an old slide. I think many of you may have seen it before. This is one of these kind of accidental uh, accidental slides outside of an American church. Uh, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. And so often we can feel that way about churches. Like, goodness me, it's, you know, it, this is meant to be a place where we come uh, and, and not just a place where we come and receive from God, but a place where we grow together. That God didn't design his people to come together and cause more stress and more turmoil for your life, but God's intention for the church was the exact opposite that we think of one another, that we lift one another up, that we bear one another's burdens, that the church becomes a demonstration of God's desire for the world around us, that God's, kingdom's, God's kingdom comes here first and then out to the world around us. We're going to respond if I could invite Abby and Drew back to lead us now, but I just want to pray one thing with us. Could I encourage you if you're able to stand? As we were worshiping at the start, and we were singing um, "Holy Spirit, come," and towards the end of worship, my my little girl came up to me with um, with just a drinks bottle, and and she she just very simply held it up to me and said, "Can you fill this?" and being the classical overthinker that I am, I just stopped in that moment listening to worship, hearing the idea of, of, of God's Spirit coming, of being, being filled with the things. Just in that moment, my response was, was lifting my eyes to heaven and, and saying to my Heavenly Father, God, can you fill this? Church, I don't know what your life is, is full of at the moment. Some of us, we are, we're so busy and so full that we're, we're, we're full to bursting. Some of us, we feel completely opposite. We just feel hollowed out by life. We feel particularly empty at this moment. And yet the invitation that I believe is for each one of us is, is to look to our Father in heaven and say, Father, can you feel this? Take my life, Lord. Fill it with your goodness. Fill it with your spirit. Fill it with living water. That, God, your love and your mission and your unity would fill my life. That, God, as I see that overflow to the lives of those around me, God, your blessings would rest in those places. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, please visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.